This is WexCast from the Wexner Center for the Arts at The Ohio State University. For this episode, film video director Dave Filippi offers a brief intro to Federico Fellini, the legendary Italian filmmaker behind such classics as La Strada, Eight and a Half, and La Dolce Vita. All of those films and more will be presented as part of a Summer 22 retrospective at the WEX, which runs July 7th through August 18th. Dave discusses the trajectory of Fellini's career, the big break that helped launch it, the filmmaker's distinctive, evolving style, and a couple of the notable directors Fellini has influenced. And if you listen to the end, you'll get a sneak preview of what's coming to the WEX next summer. One thing that I think is cool or interesting about Fellini's career, and and not just Fellini, but any director where you can kind of trace... um, influences from early in their life throughout their work. Um, I think once you start entering, you know, like for instance, a Hollywood director, it would probably be harder and harder to to detect um, influences from one's childhood on the person's body of work. But with Fellini, it's really cool. You know, from a very young age, he was interested in theater and puppets and circuses and, and American comic strips. And, and he even, you know, made a living as a young man. He wrote for humor magazines and he um, did cartoons for a couple of publications. And it was after the war, um, he was um, working um, at, a, at a, a studio that where they did caricatures of mostly American GIs. And he crossed paths with Roberto Rossellini. And Rossellini had seen some of his, his work and his, his humor writing and invited him to contribute to the, the Open City screenplay. And so that wasn't Fellini's first entry point into film. He had had the opportunity to intermix with um, other people in the film industry, but that was his, obviously, a, a pretty good break. Um, so he, he contributed to the Open City screenplay, which won an Oscar. Um, he contributed to Rossellini's film Paisan, you know, so right there it's like two of the you know, great films of, of world cinema. And then Rossellini invited him to write part of the omnibus film that Rossellini made, um, L'Amore, La where um, Fellini wrote the, um, the part that was called The Miracle, which starred Anna Magnani. And then Fellini also played the role of this um, kind of vagrant that Magnani, she's kind of like crazy with religious fever and she thinks he's a saint. And just to kind of fast forward, um, it's strongly suggested that they have sex and that Magnani is impregnated and she thinks it's a divine conception and, you know, and and the story goes from there. But, you know, having that early relationship with with Rossellini definitely um, opened a lot of doors for Fellini and the film industry in, in Italy. You know, obviously when Fellini was working with Rossellini and then when he was able to start making his own films, it was, you know, right at the, you know, the golden era, if you want to call it that, of, of neorealism in, in Italy. And the first films that he made as a director, um, Variety Lights, he co-directed that one, and then um, The White Sheik, and then Eat Vitaloni, and then La Strada, and then a few films, you know, after that, were very much still in the vein of, of neorealism, but already you're starting to see some flashes of Fellini themes and traits um, 
everything from you know I'm focusing on you know performers and and vaudeville and, and circus and theater and, and performance like that, but then also you know dreams and and kind of um, fantasy elements that were certainly not necessarily a, a staple of neorealism. And his films kind of continued in that vein for much of the 1950s. And then, um, you know, his big, big break was with La Dolce Vita, where he made him an international superstar in terms of being a filmmaker. But then, around that time, he started to get into Jungian psychoanalysis and reading up on that. And you do see this clearer break and clearer evolution around this time where he really did kind of enter a different phase of his filmmaking which you know to be honest a lot of people are not big fans of you know it um, like a lot of people call the big chunk of the remainder of his career kind of self-indulgent and I don't think of it that way at all I think it's amazing that you know a, a great filmmaker is getting to make such personal films that where he is exploring you know dreams and and his own desires and his own preoccupations and and really you know and he's Stated it. I don't want to tell like typical narratives. I don't want to be bound by traditional narrative. And so you do see some of his later films are either very episodic or or they're barely held together by an idea. You know that's kind of tying the the vignettes and, and the memories and the dreams um, together. And um, to be fair, I do tend to prefer his earlier films, but I don't think it's because I find his later work self-indulgent, I, I think it's really exciting that a, a, a filmmaker got to um, make films like that. Fellini, um, if you're going to be that kind of a filmmaker, you know, like Wells was for the, almost his whole life was trying to scrape together money for the next film, and I don't think it was that dire for Fellini until very, very late in his career, but um, yeah, he was a very unconventional director and not terribly concerned with um, the commercial prospects of his films. He wanted to make personal films. And so he, he could have picked um, an easier path for himself than he did, but he, he was a very personal filmmaker. The director that comes to mind first of someone who I'm pretty sure has cited Fellini as an influence, and if he hasn't, he's, I don't think he's being honest, um, would be David Lynch. Going back to the notion of kind of tapping into the unconscious for, you know, for motivation or inspiration or whatever, um, you know, Fellini did that very often in his filmmaking, and I think Lynch is one of the few filmmakers who, he understands like the actual literal school of, of, of surrealism, and it shows up in Twin Peaks, and especially in Lost Highway, and, and films like that, and um, so I, I would say Lynch would be one person that really comes to mind quickly. Um, Terry Gilliam, more in a superficial way maybe, you know, just a film like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas where there's a narrative there, but it's told in as crazy a way as, as possible, you know, is it, you know, if you want to use the word indulgent, it's a, you know, in a really wonderful way, I love that film. Um, but there's kind of every stylistic, stylistic flourish you can throw into that film in, in telling the story. Um, but boy, that, you know, I, if I were a director, I would not want to be compared to, to Fellini. It's a lot to live up to. I guess the films that I am looking forward to, um, I've actually never seen Il Bildone, so I'm looking forward to seeing that one. Um, I always like to see The White Cheek and um, E. Vitaloni because Alberto Sordi features prominently in both of those films and he's one of my all-time favorite actors so I just I love watching his films over and over again. My favorite is La Dolce Vita just for all the obvious 
superficial reasons, just the depictions of Rome, and it just, you know, even though it was obviously heavily criticized and condemned, it's kind of exposing the um, shallowness and superficiality and, and even kind of the, the hedonism of, you know, kind of the celebrity culture and upper class culture of, of Rome. Um, I think it still has this really romantic feeling to it, and every, anyone who's like been to Rome, of course you want to go to the Trevi Fountain, and for me the, the reason I want to go is because Marcello Mastriani and Anita Ekberg were, you know, prancing around in there, so um, I love La Dolce Vita. People are only able to see um, a couple of the films in the series and and really want to be selective. I think the film you, you, you really have to see is Eight and a Half for a lot of reasons. Um, you know, if if people aren't familiar with his work, it's it's about a, a filmmaker who is um, at a crossroads and, and having a, a crisis. He's lost his confidence. He's you know struggling to come up with the idea for his next film, which is exactly what was happening to Fellini um, at leading into this film. Um, it, it's just such a tour de force when it comes to cinematic style, and. And on top of that, it's a film that's absolutely beloved by other filmmakers. Sight and Sound is this magazine put out by the British Film Institute, and it's it's one of the world's great film magazines. And every 10 years, they do a poll of critics from around the world and filmmakers from around the world. And they come up with their lists of, you know, what are the, the best films of all time. Um, and then in kind of accumulating all of the, the polls, like which directors appear the most, they do a tabulation of who the greatest directors are just based on how many times they're mentioned. And um, Eight and a Half always finishes very high when it comes to the polls of the directors. I think in the last poll, which is 2012, the next one is coming out in just a couple months, Eight and a Half was the fourth rated film of all time. And then in doing the tabulations of who the, you know, the greatest, in quotes, greatest director of all time is, um, Fellini came in number one in the poll of world filmmakers, and in the in the poll of the you know critics and historians and whatnot, he, he came in 14th. Um, so that gives you a sense of how he's <laughs> viewed by filmmakers, and I think any I think filmmakers just identify with what Marcello Mastroianni is going through in, in Eight and a Half. I'm sure any filmmaker who's worked long enough has had that kind of crisis. You know, where do I go next? And um, so I would I would definitely recommend that one. We've done a lot of um, partnerships over the years with an organization in Rome called Luce Cinecita, and it's an organization whose mission is to promote Italian film culture around the world, and they um, help put together these amazing series. Like in the past, we've done retrospectives of um, Pasolini, Anna Magnani, uh, Mario Monicelli, and they, they get the ball rolling by um, spearheading new restorations, um, the publicity around it. Usually it opens um, somewhere in New York, whether it's MoMA or Lincoln Center, but then it, it, it travels around North America to places like you know, the Wexner Center or um, the Bell Light Box in Toronto or the Harvard Film Archive, um, um, Pacific Film Archive at Berkeley and, and um, other places like non-mainstream um, theaters. And um, it's just, it's great working with them. And, you know, a lot of these series, um, 
just wouldn't be possible without them kind of organizing things um, in advance. And people that are listening to this might know that a, a Dario Argento series just opened in New York um, a couple of weeks ago. And we're going to be doing that series here at the WEX in summer of 2023. And that's another retrospective that Luce Chinichita helped organize. That was WEX film video director Dave Filippi with an intro to Federico Fellini. For more information on our summer Fellini retrospective and all things WEX, go to wexarts.org. For the Wexner Center for the Arts, I'm Melissa Starker. Thanks for listening.